Morning, Grace. Hey, more of that tonight, 6.30 tonight. We'll have a concert, see what these guys can do. We're going to let them loose. Um, I'll tell you more about that in just a minute after our teaching time. There are multiple stories in the life of David that give us uh, like an iconic picture of what it's like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. There, there, are, there are stories that just paint a picture that help us see vividly what it means to become like Christ in maybe one particular aspect of our life. And today we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, and this story is for me, and you can listen in if you want. Uh, this, when we look in, into the heart of King David at its best, you, you get to peer into the very heart of King Jesus. And today we're going to see, again, another aspect, another dimension, another perspective on our salvation itself, another portrait. So uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 16, it's important to know the context here is David is reaping a harvest of consequences of many sins in his life. And at, at this stage, his <clears throat> very own son, Absalom, has caused a mutiny to break out. He desires to become king, and he is with his army besieging the city of Jerusalem. And David is having to flee for his very life, surrounded by his faithful friends and his gibberine, his mighty men. And here's uh, how the story goes. As, as King David was fleeing Jerusalem, a man came out of a village cursing them. His name is Shimei, son of Gera, from the same clan of Saul's family. And he threw stones at David and then all of the king's servants as well. And all of the people and all of the mighty men that were on David's right hand and his left. And Shimni said as he cursed them, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. For God himself, the Lord, has avenged you for all the blood on the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord himself has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. You see, your evil is on you. You are a man of blood. <laughs> Shimni is insane with pent-up rage. He's from this, not just the tribe of Benjamin, but this clan uh, that, that is with, with the former king Saul. And he, he thinks David has stolen the kingly lineage from that clan. And so now... <laughs> With David surrounded by his mighty men, his gibberine, these professional killers on his left and his right, he's throwing rocks at them and dirt and calling David names. And so, as you would imagine, one of those men says, I can take care of this. Why should this dead dog curse the Lord, my Lord the King? This is Abashi, the son of Zerah. That's what he, he demands this. Let me go over and cut off his head. Abashi, son of Zerah. Zerah is David's sister. She has three sons that serve in David's army. You might have heard of General Joab. This is his brother Abashi. And Abashi, he, he's listed in the chapter we saw of the mighty men. 
And the mightiest of the mighty men were called the three. The three reported, they were direct report, the commanding officer of the three, Abashi. He is, oh man, he's, uh, he's like Groot in, right, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's that, like that, that stick person that only has one sentence. All he ever says in all of the movies is, I am Groot. Okay, Abashi, all he ever says there's three stories with him. All he says is, can I kill this guy? That's what he says. Uh, no, I'm not kidding. Like, there's a scene earlier when David was being hunted by King Saul. And uh, they were, it was at nighttime. And, and King Saul, w- surrounded by his men to protect him, they're all sleeping at night. And David picks Abashi to go with him. And they sneak into camp. And they're standing over Saul. And Abashi says his line. Let me kill King Saul for you, David. I can run him through and pin him to the ground. And David's like, what? <laughs> Can't raise your hand against God's elect? And so now here he is again saying, hey, I could be, I'll be back in five minutes and, you know, I'll meet you at the end of the, at the ditch. But here's what happens. But King David says to him, what do I have to do with you, you sons of Zerah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, go curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And then David said to Abashi and to all of the servants, look, my, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse. Look at this. For, for maybe the Lord, Jehovah, has told him to do it. And, you know, perhaps Jehovah will see that I'm being wronged, and, and he'll bless me because these curses that are coming upon me today. So after he rebukes those, those men, as they're on their way out of town, Shimmy doesn't stop. He follows them. He's up on his upper ridge, and he keeps throwing down rocks and dirt and calling out the king, calling him names. Wow. That's the end of scene one. Scene two, a few chapters later, Absalom has been killed and the mutiny has been squashed. And so David is coming back to Jerusalem and he's about to cross the Jordan River. And guess who's there? He runs. Shimei is running there to greet David when he comes back, falls face down. And here's what he says. My Lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Uh, Forget that uh, terrible thing that your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. Let's just like, let's not talk about it, okay? Let's forget it ever. I know how much I've sinned. That is why I've come here today. The very first person in all of Israel to greet my Lord, the king. Abashi, say your line. Okay, and then Abashi, son of Zerah, said, Shimei should die. For he cursed the Lord's anointed king. And then David said, who asked your opinion, sons of Zerah? Family, right? Anyway, David exclaimed, why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day of execution. For today I'm again the king of Israel. Then turning to Shimei, David vowed, your life will be spared. This story, every time I read it, about the David, the glorious King David, mocked, falsely accused, and humiliated in front of all of his troops, by the way, his mighty men. They're watching this happen. 
And, and every time I read it, I think, this is everything I'm not. I'm I, like, where is the justice here? Where, like, where is, why is this man allowed to breathe? In other words, I'm kind of a team ab, Abishi. I mean, I got that shirt. I want a hat. Yeah, let's go with Abishi on this thing. Why is this scoundrel uh, allowed to live? And my response, I'm not alone in that. Uh, even the Old Testament scholar um, Robert Alter writes this about this particular story. He says, we're going to read the whole quote. This is one of the most astonishing turning points in this story that abounds in human surprises. The proud, canny, and often merciless David here resigns himself to accept the most stinging humiliation from the person he could easily have his men kill. And David's abasement is not a disguise like Odysseus when he, you know, took on the appearance of a beggar. But this is real change in condition, for which, however, he will emerge more than one, in one surprising way. The acceptance of the humiliation is a kind of fatalism. If someone commits such a sacrilegious act against the man who God has anointed king, it must be, it must be because God has decreed it. This story is a, is a picture or a portrait of undeserved mercy. There's a word in Hebrew for undeserved mercy. Anyone? Hesed. Here we are again. Hesed. It'll be sometimes translated loving kindness, but there are 19 different English words that we use as some form of synonym for hesed to try to describe what that single word that is an attribute of God, hesed, the hesedness of God. So we've seen already, as, as we're running along, loyal devotion that's undeserved, covenant, covenant grace that's unmerited, and then today we're going to look at dependable mercy that's unjustified. When we have faith in God, when we have faith in his hesed mercy, it means that we're going to trust that he will withhold justice from us. I want us to look carefully at the subtle but dramatic difference between last week we looked at hesed grace and this week hesed mercy. Grace is when you give someone unmerited favor, when you give someone something that's unmerited to them, a gift. Mercy is withholding merited justice. When they actually have and earned this kind of wrath and you hold it back, when you look carefully at our salvation, it is mercy and it's grace. It's God withholding what we deserve, and that is alienation from him in this life and the next, hell. He's holding that back from us, and then he's gifting us something that we absolutely don't deserve, and that is intimacy with him in this life and, and for eternity, heaven. And so mercy and grace, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, and the coin's name is Hesed. And today we're focusing on mercy because that's what's happening in the story. And I want to focus on that because we are, in this storyline, we're shimming. We have justice and wrath coming our way. 
And God, in his mercy, is holding that back, not letting, us, not letting it near us. But know this about Hesed. Look at these attributes. We're same definition, but now let's see it even more. Hesed is first costly. Look at the shame on David being mocked in front of his, in front of his peers. Look how selfless Hesed is, and that is David is humble, selfless. He's willing to receive this. This loyal mercy is expressed in actions. It's something that actually is being done and experienced, in this case, by Shimei. If you've ever received this kind of hesed in your life from a brother or sister in Christ where they withheld what you deserved, some kind of punishment, it's probably changed your life. If you've received it from God, really experienced that in salvation, it'll change your identity. It changes the very way you look at all of life. When I was reading the passage, I was drawn to, because he twice references his sister, the sons of whatever, and I was sons of Zerah, and I, I thought of New Testament Jesus, the sons of Zebedee, and what a problem they were for Jesus. Sons of Zebedee, James and John, part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, which meant that they were granted like inside uh, experiences that some of the other disciples weren't, like the Transfiguration and, and uh, Garden of Gethsemane, those sorts of intimacy. But James and John were given the nickname by Jesus himself, Sons of Thunder. <laughs> and they're called Sons of Thunder because they were passionate and fiery in temperament. Let me give you two examples of how they showed themselves to be uh, this way. The one they, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, I think, uh, he is, he, Jesus has, has set his sights on Jerusalem. And so he's coming up, or he's coming down from uh, the north, and they're passing through Samaria. And Jesus sends to James and John, hey, I want you to go ahead and find, go to this village and see where we can all stay. Well, there's a centuries-old prejudice between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so no one in the village is allowing them access. And so they, they come back, and, and they're refusing hospitality. And James and John are like, no one, no one disrespects the Lord Jesus. Okay? And so this is what they say. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus looked at them and said, he rebuked the sons of Zebedee. <laughs> James and John, they, they felt like they were justified. This was righteous indignation here. And they felt like they had the authority of Elijah himself. It's an Old Testament story where Elijah calls down fire. And they are appealing to that and saying, could we just napalm this entire village? We should be able to incinerate every living thing because they told us to move on. And Jesus is like, oh gosh. Okay. There's another story. The, the young, the, these men are ambitious. And as grown men, one of the last stories in the Gospels is they ask their mommy to go to Jesus and say, hey, see if you can get us a good spot in the cabinet. And so she does. She, like, Jesus, if your kingdom comes, could you make sure James and John are on, my, on your right and your left? It's, you can bet they were loved for that. And the reason I'm bringing this up, again, I've triggered this sons of... of uh, thunder is I, I, when I look at these two men, I think 
look at the dramatic change that they've had in their life. Me, I'm into justice. I'm Team Chimney. And I'm also very ambitious. And when I look at what happened to their lives, Hesed, the mercy of God that they experienced with three years of walking with Jesus, radically altered who they are. They kept their, their zeal, but it was used in different ways. James is, um, James is the first of the 12 disciples to be named as a martyr. He's not the first martyr, he's just the first of the disciples. He's the only one that's mentioned in the book of Acts that's martyred. And he died courageously, of course. He's a son of thunder, but it was used for the gospel. He was beheaded. John, <laughs> let the wrath of God Almighty fall down upon this Samaritan village. Hot-tempered, explosive, zealous. Right. And then Hesed changed him. And if it changed John, he could, it could change me. John is the disciple, if you remember, that followed Jesus all the way through his beating, even to the place of crucifixion. John saw firsthand the cost of Hesed mercy, where God is holding back his wrath upon John and distributing it entirely upon Jesus. And that changes John. John wrote the Gospel of John. You probably know he, he might have, you, you know he, he wrote Revelation. But what's interesting that I find in his life changes, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And if I had to say the big idea for those three books, I'd say the big idea is love. Not justice, not beware, but love. Receive the love of God, give the love of God. And so the point is, if the sons of thunder can experience this kind of real change, that's the power of Hesed mercy, and maybe that can work in my life. They're inspirations to me, knuckleheads. You know? Let's look at the passage a little deeper and ask the questions, why did David do this? How did David do this? How did he give this kind of hesed mercy? There's two reasons. One is he, he, he has faith in God's bigger plan for his life. What I mean by that is David has received hesed. In other words, the, his, his, his sins of committing adultery and then multiple murders that he arranged to cover up that adultery, the Bible's clear in the Older Testament, those, have, those are death sentences. And David is spared. He received mercy. God withheld the wrath of justice in his life. And because of that, he's able to see things that maybe other people can't see. He's able to see God's perspective on his, on his life. His mind is able to see that God is working in his soul. Look, again, let's read again. Where he says, but the king said, what, I, what, have, <clears throat> what have I to do with you, sons of Zerah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, go curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? I mean, listen, listen to that value. In the, in, the, in the midst of this suffering, plus all this humiliation, in front of his mighty men, this, David is literally 
experiencing insult to injury. This is David being kicked when he's down in front of other people. And David's values are, you know what? Maybe the Lord told him to do this. What? Maybe the Lord, it's happening for a purpose. He's looking at it as a means for God to change him or to learn something. Look what he says. He says, and then David said to Abashi and to all the servants, my son, my own son is trying to kill me right now. And doesn't his relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord Jehovah has told him to do it. Doing some math, some theology in his head, he says, and perhaps Jehovah will see that I'm being wrong and will bless me because of these curses today. In the vocabulary of our church, Grace Covenant Church, David, David knows this. And this is where his faith is, by the way. This is what he knows and has his faith in. That God's ambition for him is to make him like Christ in all of life. And all of life is a means to that end. And sometimes, maybe, just maybe, the only way he can become like Christ in this particular part of his life is to be humiliated while he's despairing and discouraged. You know what you need, David? Insult upon injury. And that's how he sees life. He's able to see what God's doing in his life. There have been two times in my adult life where I have been uh, reduced to very little. I was getting depressed. I was growing weary. I saw no, I felt trapped and no way out. I almost quit and, and just left town and started over somewhere. And uh, in addition to that, I had some people come and and take advantage of kicking me when I was down. And in all of that, I was just trying to make sense of it. And then my wife says to me, maybe, maybe this is the Lord's doing. Maybe you're surrounded by all of this failure and discouragement for a purpose. And maybe perhaps the Lord is seeing that you've been wronged and will bless you these curses that you're receiving. See, it had an objective view, a view from David's heart. David is able to do this, and the reason he does it is because he's got a perspective on his own life from God. And another, the second reason is he has faith in God's bigger plan, his bigger plan for justice. David's going to delegate justice of Shimei to the Lord. He'll let the Lord deal with that. And, and you can see in the New Testament, vivid and just pronounced when Paul talks about this and how we're supposed to respond. Let me read out of Romans chapter 12, because it just, just says it over and over again, where he says, blessed are those who persecute you. Uh, he said, bless those, I'm sorry, bless, it, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Do not be proud. David's not proud. Do not be proud. Do not repay repay, uh, evil for evil. And if it's possible, as much as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. Do not take revenge, my friends. You know what's written. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to eat or drink. Do not, listen to this carefully, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Besides what's clearly being taught here, but that last sentence that I wanted to emphasize is, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is ironically using military words to explain this paradox. He's using the word overcome here. It's like, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil. He says, look, oh yeah, there's a fight, sure, but don't, don't let the fight beat you fight back with good. In other words, don't let the attack beat you down, attack back. And how, what, what do you attack with? Good. In other words, in the weapons of how it works, good is more powerful than evil. So do not be overcome or destroyed by evil, but rather destroy and overcome evil with good. This is, this is the power, this is the sort of relentless Hesed love, it destroys evil. It has that kind of power. And we know that and we can live that because we have this faith and this hope in delegating, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So in summary, David is able to do this and the reason he's able to do it is because he's received this mercy and because of that he's able to have a vision for what God is doing in his particular life. He can see things at a deeper level. And the other reason is he just leaves the justice to God. And, you know, perhaps the Lord will bless me because he's watching all this cursing going on. The application for this week, again, is just this Hesed mercy is part of the Christmas story. That's why we're doing it during our Christmas at Grace. It's what Christmas is all about. It's part of the gift of of. God loving the, Lord, the world so much he sent his only son. And just like we said before, a person that has received the gospel is to become the gospel in other people's life. And if we've been gifted with this grace and this mercy, we are to give grace and mercy. And I think especially during the holiday seasons where we're around maybe people that we're not typically around or maybe with people that... I don't know, chimneys? That we get to give mercy, withhold our anger, because it's been withheld from us. Look, just think about the famous verses that we've looked at, John 3, 16 and 17, but now at a deeper level. For God so loved the world that he gave, that's Christmas, gave his only son, so that anyone, 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 that would believe in him, would not perish, Hesed mercy, but would receive a gift, Hesed grace, eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, Hesed mercy, but so that the world might be saved, Hesed grace, through him. It's everywhere. It's the nature of salvation. It's the nature of God. So, every time I read this story, I am cut to the quick. This has not been an easy week. (laughs) Because the passage clearly shows us the heart of King David at maybe quite literally his lowest level. 
And then he's humiliated and mocked and falsely accused in front of his mighty men. And the theme is, easy, Abishai. <laughs> you know, let that chimney go on and live. Put the sword down. It's not for you. And we're able to do that because we're able to release those people in our lives to the Lord because God's done that in our life. And who knows? Who knows if the Lord's not using this to make us become like Christ in a different way, in a different aspect of our life. Maybe the only way we can become like Christ, who is mocked and humiliated at his lowest point when he's on the cross. And so maybe we become like Christ by being like Christ and experiencing what he experienced. Maybe that's the only way to get there. Who knows? Perhaps. That's what the passage says. Hesed, there are 19 English words to try to describe what this attribute of God is. We've seen the loyal devotion that's undeserved. We've seen uh, a covenant grace that's unmerited. And now, just dependable mercy that's unjustified. That's what it looks like. I think sometimes mercy is one of the most difficult things to grasp. Unless you've experienced it. Somebody withholding justice. When, uh, when the children were young, we were, when we were raising them, we were trying to help them understand the many perspectives of salvation. And I think, again, grace, unmerited gifts, sometimes that's a little simpler to be able to demonstrate to them. But I remember Melinda and I were like, how do we do mercy? How do we... Do, how do we make this a concrete experiential event for them. And so we just waited until that day came. And the day it came in my son's life is he committed a crime that he could not pay for. <laughs> when he was about six years old, maybe five to six years old, he took a pocket knife that I had given him and he had, he had cut a hole in, in the comforter that Melinda's mom made just for him. His custom comforter from grandmother, and he cut a hole in it with that knife. And if you're thinking, why would I give a five-year-old a pocket knife, you should quit judging right now <clears throat> because you're missing the bigger point of the story, okay? Because I've already heard about it, all right? I've heard about it plenty. Can't take it back. Can we go back? Can we go back to the story? We're talking about mercy here. Yeah. So uh, we all live with regrets. Uh, so anyway, this, Melinda was lit up about this comforter being ruined. And so she, like, and I said, hey, this is it. Like he can't handle the wrath that you have for him. And so I'm going to step in and take it. And she said, all right. So we negotiated with him. And I said, you, you can't take this kind of justice. And so this one time, I'll take your paddling. And mom's going to let me have it. And Melinda and I had a talk. I said, hey, you can't, you can't pull any punches because there's, there's a lesson here. God doesn't withhold his justice upon Jesus. And she said, I'm ready. I'm like, well, okay. Uh, she did not hold back. Uh, 
Why pow? And uh, it made an impression on all of us. So, so the first impression was on me, on my body. But I think another impression was made for our son because he got, he got to experience what John did at the foot of the cross where he saw someone else be part of withholding the justice that he deserved. And he saw that mercy wasn't free, it was expensive, it was costly. Not to him, but justice prevailed that day. And then, honestly, I remember it regularly because God so loved the world that he sent his only son for me. And sure, he sent him on Christmas Day to be born in a cave, but he sent him to a cross that led to another cave that he vacated, but he sent him there so, so that he would take my wrath that I might enjoy his mercy. He, he wanted to give me that mercy, but at his expense. And so I got a little taste of what it was like. It's not free. And so occasionally when I think, not so fast, sons of thunder, put your sword down, Abashi, I think back about that time that I had one experience that was so small compared to my salvation that comes through Christ and his death and proof by his resurrection. And I think, you know what? That can change even a hard, cold heart like mine and make me like David. Make me like Jesus. So in, in our last little application here, how about you? You need to become like Christ in mercy. You need to receive that mercy to become his child. And then the application is if you receive the gospel, you be the gospel. Is there someone you need to give that kind of hesed mercy to? In this holiday season, there's a lot, there's a lot of ministry all around us. There's a chimney <laughs> coming to your home soon. So let's pray that we might have a greater grasp of this heart of King David, the heart of King Jesus, and become like Christ in mercy. Let's pray with me. Lord, we, I'm again, I'm thunderstruck by this story again and again. I just, I can never recover from this. It's such an honorable and uh, revered man is mocked and, and humiliated in his worst moment, and he receives it from you. Lord, I long that um, I would become more like that the way you were mocked and, re and received dishonor by scoundrels at your lowest point. Moments before you said the words, uh, it's finished. Lord, I'd ask that you would help me, help us become merciful because you gave us mercy by receiving the Father's wrath. Lord, I'd ask that you would give us opportunities in days to come that we might practice this kind of mercy so that we might enjoy uh, becoming and, and being like Christ in the lives around us. That we would be able to witness uh, 
someone receiving, re- receiving this kindness, this hesed, this loving kindness, they, re- they deserve justice and they receive grace. They receive mercy. I don't, I'd like, Lord, I'd like for you to arrange circumstances so that we could actually see that happen in a way that lives are changed because of it. And we would give all the glory to you. We pray this as a church in Jesus' name. Amen.